With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lock-away channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pampers Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you, thank you, thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. One of the best ways to support us, besides telling everyone about us, is by listening on the Radio Public app. When you listen there, we get paid. And the app's tip button lets you leave us a tip for any amount up to $100. Major shout out and thank you to the individuals who left us our first few tips. We promise to spend it wisely. Hey there, I'm Alicia Menendez. This is Latina to Latina. Each week, we talk with Latinas on the rise. Hello from Stephanie Beatriz's house. Today, I'm talking with the actor and Brooklyn Nine-Nine star about landing one of the best roles on television and almost losing it, her recent wedding, and how she's sharing her personal experiences and struggles so that others might feel less alone. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, thanks for being here in my home in Los Angeles, California. Yay, you're getting the real uh, LA hipster Silver Lake scene right now. You're really in it. I get the sense that you are not great at being famous because <laughs> most people are not like, yeah, just could you just come to my house? Could you just, here's my cell phone. Just. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't, um, you know, there's like, I think there's different levels of fame. Obviously there's like, you can't go outside with someone without someone screaming your name, which is the Terry Crews level, I think. Um, and then there's, uh, I think, place where actors get to where they've done some really consistently good work on say a sitcom and fans of that show know who they are and you know there's sometimes when I'll meet like a teenage kid who like explodes into tears and is really excited to see me I rarely get recognized I would define myself as a character actress more than anything else because I find that I really transform in the roles that I'm in I'm not at a level yet where I can 
choose my own projects or I can walk into a room and have people know that I'm a quote unquote bankable actress, you know, like, oh, let's definitely give her this role because, you know, she brings X amount of money to the box office. I'm not there yet. I would love to be there because I think once I'm there, then there's going to be all sorts of wonderful things that will happen from that. You live in Los Angeles in this beautiful home. You have a husband. Mm -hmm. You have steady employment as an actor. Is this what you thought your life was going to be? Yeah. You know, not the husband part. I don't think I ever thought I was going to get married. But I have had this conversation with an artist friend of mine who she was sort of finding her way to her art and asked me, how do you know that this is the thing that you're supposed to do? And I was like... I don't know how I know, but it feels like some kind of vocation. Like, it feels like a calling. You are good at telling stories. It's the best thing that you can offer the planet. Your voice, your view of the world adds something to the roles that you want to play. The way that you see things is important. And somehow you're open enough to be a channel for these characters that you you aren't these people, but somehow you're open enough to channel them. And it's not something I take for granted. It's not something I take lightly either. But it does feel like, I don't know, it just feels like you're not, I, I don't know how to do anything else, you know? And I just feel like I am supposed to be a part of it in whatever way, shape, or form. I feel really lucky that I am on a television show, a regular on a series. Like that is something that I always dreamed of, but I don't know if I was like, it's definitely going to happen. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't, um, I don't know, starry-eyed enough to just be like, it's going to happen and I'm going to move to LA and it's going to all going to happen, you know, because it is a really competitive industry and there are still dreams that I have that haven't happened yet. But that doesn't mean that I'm not interested in staying in the middle of where I am right now and realizing like this moment right now, like this is also what you dreamed of 10 years ago. So like, don't miss it while it's happening because you're like, well, I still have to, you know, I still want to do this and this and X and Y and Z. And when is it all going to happen? It's like, well, someday you're going to look back and be like, oh, I remember when I was sitting on my couch doing that podcast, like dreaming about all that stuff. It was like, like everything. I didn't want to do anything else. I want to go back because there are things in your story that I've never been able to riddle out so you can tell me, which is your dad's Colombian. Yes. Your mom's Bolivian. Yes. But they have you in Argentina. Yes. Why? So my dad was a chemical engineer for a big corporation when I was a baby, when, when he met my mom. And then he met my mom. They were traveling around. He would travel a lot of times. The company would send him forward to kind of scout where they should be basically fracking. Yeah, they were fracking. And he would scout. And so he was traveling all over the place. And they were in Argentina when I was born. They were in Venezuela when my sister was born. So what do you consider yourself? I mean, first and foremost, I would say American because I was raised here. I moved here when I was two. I got my citizenship when I was 18. After that, I would say probably a, a pretty even mix of Mexican-American, even though I'm not Mexican at all, but I was raised around a lot of Mexican culture, and so it, I connect with it really deeply, especially the iconography and the art. And then 
a sort of solid mix of Bolivian and Colombian. I think there's like a lot of traditions that my parents have tried to kind of thread through our American lives. But I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of hate the term cause it's not a sexy term, like pan Latin American, you know, like it's not a sexy term. Pan doesn't sound sexy. I do sort of feel like if there was a term for it, it would be like American Latino, you know, American Latinx. Like that's how I feel because I embrace all of the different cultures that I've been, you know, uh, privy to, like grateful to witness. You alluded to this, but growing up, you knew you were different. Can you unpack that for me? How you knew? Well, one of the things that I knew was different was that in Texas, or at least in the part of Texas where I grew up, it's a an area called Webster, which is around the Clear Lake area. It's outside of Houston. But I would say probably in the 80s, generally, there was a standard of beauty, right? And, you know, you think Texas beauty queen, like think about what that probably says in your mind. You think a white woman with blonde hair and blue eyes. In fact, a lot of country music specifies that that is what is desired. And I think I knew just by looking in the mirror that I was different, right? There's my brown skin, my brown hair, my brown eyes. So already there's a difference. And then on top of that, there is this feeling of, for me, it was like, it was a slow and steady, like, realization. It was little things like, oh, you want to spend the night at your friend Danielle and Brooke, Danielle and Brooke with these beautiful twin girls. And like, I wanted to spend time with them, but it was, it was like more than a friendship. I wanted more than a friendship. I didn't know what more than a friendship was at nine years old, but I knew that like, I wanted to be at their house all day after the sleepover. I didn't want to leave, you know, or it was, you know, I remember walking down the hallway one time in like second or third grade and there was a very popular girl named Ryan and she had this beautiful brown swingy hair. And I remember following her all the way down the hall into the library where I like, I think I was on my way to the bathroom or something unrelated, but I was just mesmerized by her hair. And it wasn't a feeling of like, wow, her hair. So, I mean, what's more? It was this like magnetic pull to women in the same way that I felt a magnetic pull to men, but still as a child. So it's like, it's not necessarily defined as like sexual urges yet because you don't even really know what those are. It's just like a weird uh, sort of nebulous pull. And then it became more defined as I went through puberty. So like then there was going to art museums and being allowed to look at the naked form and like not only allowed but encouraged to look at the naked form, like stare as long as you wanted these beautiful naked statues. And so that's when it like really locked in, which is like, oh, you like this, this in the same way you like that. This is, this is a problem, which is how it felt to me because during all of that, time, I was also going to church a lot. Um, and I grew up in the Catholic church and the Catholic church is not most historically, it's not super kind to LGBTQ community. In fact, it believes most of the time that they don't exist, that it's a sin. It's a choice, um, that you're a sinner if that's who you are. So 
that was the message that I was receiving at home, at church, in the world, really. Once I really started to figure out what might be going on, then it was like, well, you got to just nip this in the bud right now. You got to pray about it and think, you make sure nobody knows about it because that means you're going to hell. And maybe this is your big struggle. Like they say in church, you know, like maybe this is your, maybe the devil is putting this in your heart so that you can fight against it, which is like, that's a fucked up thing to teach a kid. Right. Like I, in my opinion, I mean, everybody is allowed to do what they want, but in my opinion, it's really messed up thing to teach a kid that the core of who you might be is also your greatest challenge and the thing that you're supposed to fight against your whole life. Who is the first person you told? That is a good question. I don't remember. I don't think I had a real like sort of, I'm not going to say traditional because nothing about coming out is traditional, but I don't, I didn't have a, I'm going to set up my camera and tell my mom moment. It was like, I made out with a girl at a party or, you know, I started sort of secretly dating a girl that I was doing a play with or a lot of it was like secret keeping. It was like, oh, we're not really doing this, which I think a lot of people in the gay community have experienced. It's like, let's just keep it on the DL. Let's keep it on the download. Don't tell anybody that we're doing this because nobody else needs to know. I think one of the first sort of big, I need to tell you something was my sister. And at the time, the only response I got was, well, don't tell mom and dad unless it's like really serious. We don't need to upset them or, you know, you know how they're going to be. And that was really painful to hear, even though she was right. It wasn't the response that I, I don't, I don't know what would have been a perfect response though. I mean, I think what would have been a perfect response is the, the words that our writers put into Rose's mouth on that episode, which is like, I love you no matter what. Um... So if anyone's listening and has anybody that's going to come out to them, that's the perfect response. That was like maybe the first kind of like, hey, this is, this is a thing. I'm bisexual, you know. The relationship that I'm in right now, uh, I think there have been fans of the show that have said like, well, so that, so that was a phase. So that was a, just like a phase that you were by. And it's like, well, no, because – your sexuality doesn't die once you decide to have a monogamous partner. I mean, if it does, I'm so sorry for you. And maybe like think about um, leaving that partnership, but it doesn't end, right? Sexuality is a constantly changing, evolving, growing thing and it's always alive. And so even though I'm committed to a heterosexual man for the rest of my life, my sexuality hasn't changed. I am still bisexual. I'm still queer. And that is what's really hard for people to kind of put together in their minds, especially, again, if they don't know people that are LGBTQ or if they don't want to have those conversations, if they're not open to having those conversations, then they're not going to grow and learn anything about that, which is why I've chosen to be hella open about it because I'm hoping that that openness creates like ripples and that maybe someone gets interested or maybe someone reads an article or maybe someone has a conversation with a friend and doesn't understand it and wants to know more, you know? So you said you never thought you'd get married. Mm-hmm. What changed? Well, I I grew up in a kind of tumultuous household. My, my parents, now I would say they have a functioning marriage, but when I was a kid and an adolescent, they didn't. And I'll be very honest with them about that too. It was awful. It was just constantly an upheaval and an emotional sort of like 
minefield and madhouse and I was not interested in having that at all. It's like, nope, I'm not going to do that to myself. I'm definitely not going to do that to a kid. I'm never going to have kids. And that was my mantra forever. I did not want to have kids. I did not want to get married. And then about 10, maybe 11 years ago, I met a partner who at the time really like brought out a lot of new things in my personality and made me feel sort of more self-assured in the world. And in the middle of that relationship, I sort of started thinking, well, gosh, maybe I do want to get married. Maybe this is a thing that I want. And then I kind of, I would say like begged and berated that partner and really tried to get that. Because I think at the time I thought, I saw it as like a form of consistency in a very inconsistent world. And luckily that partner did not want to marry me. Um, so that kind of became a point of contention between the two of us. And then we broke up. And then I did this film, uh, Light of the Moon, and everyone doing the film sort of had these like incredible lives and were just doing all these, taking these incredible acting classes or traveling to these amazing places and doing all these things. And I was like, oh my gosh, I feel, I feel like I've been stunting myself. Like I feel like I've been waiting for something to come and not going after it myself, you know? And then it made me think like, well, what are, what are the adventures that I'm like drawn to? What is the thing that I want? And part of what started coming up was like, I want to find a partnership in which like I feel lifted up by it, you know? I don't know if I can find that or not, but maybe I can. And I think I maybe want to have kids, you know? I think that might be something that I want to have the experience of and be able to give a kid the things that I didn't, not just like monetarily, but like the household that I didn't have or the, the, you know, it's, I mean, I think it's also part of getting older. You're just like, whoa, maybe I should, maybe I should add to this world in a different way. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blow-up barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blow-ups. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size 8. And now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important. And it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer. M&M's for all fun kind. 
Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the LA area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th. At 6.30 p.m., we're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. So Brooklyn Nine-Nine, procedural cop comedy, uh-huh. which initially focuses on Jake Peralta, who's played by Andy Samberg, and his relationship with the chief of police. But it's an ensemble comedy, if I ever saw one. Now, there's a story that we hear a lot, which is you originally went in to audition for um, the role of Amy, which went to Melissa Fumero. Um, And there was another role that was, what was her name? Laura Lauren was her original name? Megan. Megan. So originally Rosa was going to be Megan. And that there was a part of you that was like, listen, they've already got their Latina. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just a part of me. It was all of me. I mean, <laughs> it was like a very sure, look, I've been watching TV since I was three years old. I know what TV is supposed to look like, right? Like, you know that there's only one brown person allowed, Right. And that was the pattern that I had seen on television. It's not a pattern I believe is right, but it's the pattern that I had seen. And so when she was cast, I was devastated. I remember crying in my living room when I read it and was like, well, that's it. They're not going to cast two of us. And my boyfriend at the time was like, how do you know? You know, you don't know. And I was like, there's no way a studio will cast two of us. We're not related. There's no way they'll do it. They're just going to cast a white girl in this role. That's why her name is Megan. They're talking about her fiery temper. They probably want somebody that looks like an Irish cop, you know, like a, like a family that's been in this like Brooklyn cop world forever. I knew that I wasn't going to be called back for any of it. And then the next day, my agents were like, they want to have you come in and read for this other role again. They want you to screen test. And I was like, oh my God, maybe I'm wrong. And that was a huge relief because it was like, it also felt like a relief about like the world that we live in, which is like, your dreams can be real. Like this could be a real thing. You don't have to believe the way that it's set up is always the way it has to go. It can be different. It can be different. It became a a show that had a cult following. And so when it was announced that Fox wasn't going to pick it up for another season, I mean, we all lived, I feel like it was very generous. Uh, I mean, I follow you and Melissa in particular, so it was very generous for you. You like grieved with us. Yeah. Where were you? How did you find out? And how did you process that? I found out because the cast got an email from Dan Gore, a creator that said like, Fox is not gonna continue with us, with the show. Um, and then it sort of said, hold tight. Can I just say that that sounds like being broken up with via post-it note? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know the show that we all loved and have worked on? <laughs> I mean, the thing is, it's a weird relationship that you have with this show because it is, it's this like, it is this core, wonderful part of your life, but at any moment, you know that it could go away. Not at any moment, but after you finish shooting the deal, the contracted 18, 22 episodes, whatever you've got, your job could be over. Like, and that's just a reality that you have to deal with. Like no one is promised 
anything, right, in this life. I mean, you could be promised two seasons in a row, but who knows what could happen. And so it's a reality that all television actors face always, which is like, this could be the end of it, which is why we're often trying to figure out what's the next move for ourselves because none of it ever really feels stable. When was the first time you remember realizing that this was a calling? In eighth grade, we had a speech and debate class. We did a play in the fall and then we did a play in the spring. And in the spring, there was this melodrama that we did called I can't remember the first part of the title, but the second part was called Idaho, the potatoes, or they just won't grow. And it was like the word Idaho. And there was a really great part in it. It was the ingenue character and it was like really cute. And she was the one that like saved the day in the end. And I really wanted that role. I did not get that role. I got the role of the villain who was a dude, right? And so at the time I was, I was struggling with a lot of stuff. My... Skin wasn't great. My teeth were really crooked. I had this really, really short haircut. I was often confused for a boy, which because I was bisexual and knew it inside at the time, that was very distressing to me because I was like, oh my God, am I wearing it on my sleeve? So then I got cast in this male role and I was devastated. I was devastated. I was so embarrassed. But for some reason, maybe because I didn't want to fail, I sort of threw myself into the rehearsals and the minute that I put on like the big, the top hat and the handlebar, literally a handlebar mustache, a stick on handlebar mustache, long white shirt and like a man's black tuxedo jacket. And it was very twisty, twisty mustachey. But we, I had a great theater teacher and she, I don't know. She didn't discourage me from trying anything. And I felt really, really free. And I was doing all this like crazy physical comedy. And we did two performances of the show at school during assembly. So the whole school came to see it. And it was like, it was like electric. I mean, every time that I did something funny, they were just with me. Everybody was with me. Everyone was laughing. I was not a super outgoing kid. I wouldn't say that I was like a nerd or anything, but I was just was like, I blended into the background. I didn't stand out in any way. And so that experience just made me feel so a part of the student body in a way that I'd never felt before. It was like, it was crazy. And then the next day at school, I was in my science class I'll never forget it. I sat in the very front. Willie Rivera sat in the back. He was very popular, super cute, football player. And he came up to my desk and was like, hey, man, uh, I saw that play yesterday. And I was like frozen in my chair. He said, your brother was so funny. You got to tell him he was so funny in that play. And I, it was like, it was too much to explain to Willie Rivera that it was me. It was like too many things, too many levels of like, oh, I've always wanted to talk to you and you've never talked to me before. And and I just said, thanks. And that was it. And it was like all of the things combined in that moment. It was like he didn't recognize me, but he appreciated what I had done so much that he had to come and tell that actor's sister, right? It was That was like when it solidified for me that it was like, this is something, there's some magic here that you have access to and you can't let it go. Stephanie, thank you so much. Thank you for coming to visit me in my hipster apartment in hipster Silver Lake. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. Latina to Latina was originally co-created with Basel. 
Now the podcast is executive produced by Juleka Lentigua-Williams and me. Amita Ganatra was the sound designer on this episode. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Send us ideas for guests or talk to us about what's on your mind right now. Remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening. And please leave a review. We love hearing from you. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.